0: It is Thursday, October 10th, and welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, and this week is my recap from this past weekend's Fanaticon. I've been mentioning Fanaticon over the last few weeks on the show. It was held this past weekend in Dothan, Alabama. Fanaticon was actually started by Phil Chalker back in 2013, and I was at the very first Fanaticon as part of the Nerd Cave podcast, and ironically enough, that was the only the third convention that I had been to. Up to that point. So the whole convention circuit was a really new experience for me. I had heard of Comic-Con, but had never really been to one or even thought that I would be going to one. And now there are conventions all across the country and even all over the world. But it was a really cool convention to go back to. I was really excited, uh, having not been to Fanaticon since 2014. And it all got started with an episode that's actually already out now that you can go back and listen to. And that is with Hall of Fame wrestling broadcaster Jim Ross. I had written a post about this on Facebook after the interview was finished, but back when I started the show in 2014, and this is way before I changed the format to you know talking about filmmaking, and I made an exception you know, for these couple of episodes. But I made a list of ten people that I wanted to interview, and he was one of them, so getting to talk with him and have him on my show was amazing, and it made all the driving that I had to do over the weekend worth it. So that episode is already out now. You can check out uh, the podcast feed or even the video version on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash ddiamondpodcast. But this episode is kind of a compilation of interviews that I collected throughout the weekend. Um, There are three that you'll be hearing through this episode. The first will be with makeup and visual effects artist Matt Silva. After that, you'll be hearing from actress Sonya Thompson, who's famously known for um, playing a zombie on The Walking Dead that's actually been featured on the cover of Entertainment Weekly and other forms of media as well. And then closing out the episode will be the head of Fanaticon himself, Phil Chalker. And he talks about, you know, what it takes to really run a convention, some of the experiences and lessons that he's learned. And even reminisce a bit about that first Fanaticon back in 2013. Because on one hand, that whole weekend back in 2013 seems like yesterday, but it also seems like an entire lifetime ago. So this was really fun to do, and hopefully I'll be back at Fanaticon in 2020. So without further ado, here is my recap from Fanaticon 2019. Sitting here at Fanaticon with makeup artist and the co-owner of Blue Whale Studios, Matt Silva, how are you this morning? I'm great, how are you? Doing good, doing good. So we're now, uh, the second day of Fanaticon is about to start. Uh, How have you been enjoying your time so far? oh it's been amazing i mean i
1: i tell a lot of people ask uh if i do this a lot and the answer is no i i only do this show and it's just because of the uh the passion of the people who come here and and especially because of phil and Jeannie who run it they're just amazing so but yeah i always have a good time i think i've come just about every year yeah i remember seeing you i think it was even back as
0: far as 2014 maybe
1: yeah, I think that's right. I, I think I got a picture at uh, Tim Skipper's photography booth even way back then.
0: It's crazy because you know, I remember that was the last Fanaticon that I attended, and it seems like, on one hand, it seems like yesterday, and on another hand, it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, yeah,
1: I try to think about 2014. Was that the first year they did it or the second? That was the second. Yeah, that that was the year I was thinking. I remember the year before that, the first year. I think I was there. And it was in a teeny, tiny little hotel yep. convention hall, and it was it's incredible to see how much it's grown and Just hearing that there were you know what, over seventeen hundred people this year mm-hmm. it's incredible,
0: yeah, I remember that first year there was just the main stage with seating, and I think all the guests were bordering that's right <laughs> around the room yep, that's right, it was pretty wild, so it, kind of transitioning into your career, what was it that really got you into? wanting to do makeup and visual effects, and how did you get started?
1: Um, i just always been really interested in in uh, like characters and costumes in movies since I was a kid. Um, my mom tells a famous story when I was in like the fourth grade about, she made me a, a Zorro costume, Antonio Banderas' Zorro movie had just come out, and she said I cried because I it wasn't screen accurate. And <laughs> that sounds like a horrible thing to do to your mother who slaved over a costume. But it does uh, make sense now that that's basically what I do is just make specialty costumes, props, co- and, you know, makeup effects for film. So so even back as a kid, you just had that really fine attention to detail. Well, I, I think so. I mean, I'm relying on the memory of my mom, who I think maybe might... You know, fuse other stories together. I don't really remember that, but um my father is a quality assurance guy and my family works in electronics and my my grandfather is one of the people who invented the first remote control so oh wow um I come from a family of people who are acutely attuned to paying attention to important details and so for me my brain is already geared that way, so I often tell people I'm not really an artist i'm like a I'm like a technician who does art mm-hmm. you know? so. So, how did you get into doing what you currently do? Um, I was gonna go to high school to teach. I mean, I was gonna go to college to become a high school choir teacher, and uh, ended up meeting a makeup artist who offered me a job. He thought I was like fun to have around, and um, so I decided not to go to college and did that instead. I've been doing it since I was eighteen.
0: So, wow! Yeah, just total happenstance. Well, it it kind of goes into that whole being at the right place at the right time kind of thing. Like talent, definitely add something to it but most everyone that I talk to on this podcast timing is a very important thing I think. Well I in my demo yesterday I, somebody asked the
1: question of like what's a, an important skill or a piece of advice for young people and I always say that talent is secondary being a good person that people want to have around is primary you know yeah it, it, that's why you it, it doesn't matter what industry you're in you're always like how come that guy got the, the the promotion it's like well the boss likes getting beers with him after work because he's fun to hang out with that's sometimes more important than are you good at putting clay on a on a sculpture you know it's like, yeah adding that human aspect to it. Right, because at the end of the day, I mean, it's part of why I love coming to this event is that it's all about people. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, whether it's art or you're an accountant or whatever. It's like, it's always, it always boils down to relationships with people. And um, being good at building healthy and positive relationships is
0: the most beneficial skill in any craft. So sitting here at your table, I see all kinds of really cool sculptures and examples of your work that you've got. When you're working on a project cuz I've never spoken with someone who really does like makeup and visual effects what's the first step that you go through when you're creating something do you work directly with the director on what the director wants when it comes to film what what exactly does how does that process work
1: yeah well I think one of my favorite things about working with in film is exactly what we're just talking about it's working with so many different people I mean when you look on the table at some of the stuff here some of it like a couple of these sculptures and some of the prosthetics are things that I actually sculpted, molded, and cast by myself. But a lot of it, when you look over at some of the other pieces, like my business partner painted some of those and, uh, you know, it was like I painted some, but somebody else sculpted them. Someone else ventilated the hair. And then even like the specialty costuming stuff back there, you know, we had, an, we had a team of 12 to 20 people working on the fabric elements and the the cloth and all that. So, I mean, it always starts with collaboration and, um, you know, building the team and building the relationship with, like, the client or if it's a director producer. I mean, it it depends on the job. Sometimes it's literally just, hey, we need you to come in and paint this thing. That's it. And some days you do come in, you meet the director and the actors, and they have opinions about what they want to see, and you work with them. It just, it really just depends. But you get to run the full spectrum of work styles.
0: Right. And that's something that, you know, my brief venturing into the world of film That's my favorite thing as well is just the collaboration of everything from director to DP to makeup to sound, all of it. It's all a collaborative effort. You know, I always use the analogy that we're all cogs in one big machine, so it takes all of them to make the big machine work.
1: Right. Well, I mean, we did a film called Uncle Drew, and um, I was really proud of the makeups that we did on that film. We had, uh, you know, a huge staff in our shop, you know, doing the prosthetics we had. Um, people from across the country come out to both help with sculpture and to help with molding and casting and, uh, and even on set, we had artists from LA and Chicago. But the thing that I felt was the most like the, where we lacked, when you see those makeups on film, they don't always look very good. And a lot of that was because we really struggled to foster a strong relationship with the DP. And, um, you know, it's not to, to dog on the DP, but it, it, it feels less like we could have done better makeup and it feels more like we could have built a stronger relationship with getting the DP on our side to help light and film our makeups in a way that was complementary for the entire production. So it's, it's, it's interesting how uh, collaboration is so important and when it's missing, it can really change the final product.
0: When one of the cogs doesn't work, it affects the entire machine. Oh, that's
1: absolutely right. And, and, you know, sometimes that's the difficulty because you're working with artists, and artists tend to have egos, and egos get in the way of... They're they're the anti-grease when it comes to the wheels, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I totally get that. So Tell me a little bit about uh, Blue Whale Studios. We've got this really cool banner behind us.
1: Yeah, so Blue Whale Studios is the company that was uh, founded by my business partner, Jonah Levy, about 20 years ago, actually, and um, he ran it out of Florida um, with a crew of of people that, you know, people come in and go out, but uh, he had uh, several great makeup artists that are now on set primarily um, that helped run that company with him, Um, and about three and a half years ago, he decided to move his company to Atlanta. I was already running my own company here. And um, he asked if I would be interested in taking over uh, an equal share in the company in order to um, relocate to Atlanta and, and build something a little bigger. We both knew we could survive without each other, but we felt like we would We'd better serve ourselves and each other by by teaming up, and so that's what we did. We um, we have a great partnership. We're total opposites. Um, he's uh, the real creative, very like crunchy hippie feely guy, and um, I'm like the Mr. Cold Logic and, <laughs> and very much uh, very much like you know eyes to the ground kind of person. And because of that, we we love that contrast. And so for us, it's, it's rarely a source of conflict. And it's almost always more of a like, hey, can you handle this? This is way better suited for you. You know, he's, he's the one that's better to, you know, when clients, Make them feel good, send them to Jonah, you know, when, when you need the clients to just know exactly what's going on, exactly how it is and what's going to happen, just send them to me so it yeah again, it's uh I know I've kind of beaten the the horse to death here, but it it always boils down to working well with people and our our partnership's great, yeah, we have an amazing crew I mean, I don't think I could say it enough we Jonah and I are just two guys who run a company, we do a lot of work in the company ourselves. But nine out of ten times, especially when it comes to the specialty costuming stuff, that's huge teams of people. And not just our company. Sometimes, like, on the Gears of War stuff, we're working with fabric vendors. Our our main vendor is Catherine Jones from God Save the Queen. And uh, it's like, you know, that's another company on top of that to produce a really cool product. So... Um, yeah, it um, it's a pretty unique company. Uh, we have a great time and we make a lot of cool stuff and we have a lot of amazing people
0: that work there. I I wish I could like, tell you about all of them. That's awesome. No, and, and going back to your, your business partner, I think having that balance of one person has this way of doing work and the other person has this way of doing work, if it's different, it tends to actually work better because if you guys were exactly the same, chances are your flaws would still be the same.
1: Right, the trick there is that when most people encounter that situation, people tend to focus on, especially if people are hurting for money or they feel desperate for opportunity, they don't see the difference as as good, they see it as bad. And so then they focus that and it becomes a source of conflict and that's why it's important to always foster healthy relationships and dismantle that and support people because you know, when we're all feeling supported, we can all work together and then we actually embrace and enhance those differences in really positive ways. And, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, the film business is not known for being a really positive place to work. You know, it's, it's like most industries, it's a grind. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, a lot of film, I mean, especially TV. I mean, my friends that are on series shows, they're working 17 hours a day, five days a week for 10 months. That's, that's like two years of somebody else's hours. Who just works a nine to five? So it, it's a grind, and and we as a company want to do something a little different. We really want to start, you know, changing the conversation from that exhausted, con- conflict-ridden, toxic environment, and try to, you know, produce something where everyone has the freedom to grow and to
0: express and to build something better. That's great. That's awesome. A couple more things before I let you go. I was looking at. Um, your description on the Fanaticon website, and you've worked on quite the impressive list of movies, and some of those include uh, movies from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Do you have a certain... Is there a project you've done that really stands out to you as I really enjoyed working on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I i've enjoyed working on all of the marvel films and in every one of those cases we've been you know whether it was me or my business partner jonah or us as a company we were always brought in by another team of makeup artists you know whether that was the main the main makeup artist who uh handled a lot of the uh overall like makeup department was uh john blake and um then like the specialty stuff like the prosthetics and the aliens those were all coming through legacy effects out of la It's like we're brought in by these people and so That was great because these are some titans in in the industry. And so it's amazing to be um, called in and asked to work for those people. Um, But for me personally, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is definitely the pinnacle of what I'd want out of working on a film. It was six months of working. You know, I worked for Legacy um, Effects on that show uh, under Brian Seip. And I was working with 24 other artists and I wasn't even doing anything crazy. I was doing, uh, you know, just ravager aliens and gold people and, you know, all kinds of just background stuff. And then my main thing was doing Yandu uh, Yondu and, and Gamora stunt doubles. So it's like, it's nothing glamorous. I'm not doing Chris Pratt's makeup or something, but it, I, it was being part of a team of 24 amazing makeup artists for six months. And it it's rare that you work with an amazing crew doing cool makeup and on a movie people like that. It really is like something very special. You know, it's like, you know, working on star Wars, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, you, you hope you're going to like the people you work with. That isn't always the case. You hope people are going to like it. That's not always the case. And you don't always get to do cool makeup. Sometimes you're just doing, you know, slit necks and zombies. Yeah. You know, it's fun to do like, I mean, and I love those too, but you know, you get called for those way more than you do doing crazy alien colorful makeups.
0: Yeah. What's one piece of advice you could give to someone who wants to pursue what you do as a career?
1: The first thing, I mean, other than be a good person and build meaningful relationships, the most important advice I can give to anyone who's looking to learn is think really hard about whether or not art school is a right choice. Um, schools like Full Sail charge you $125,000 to be a stagehand that makes $30,000 a year. It just doesn't add up. And they sell you the dream. Um, I, I'm always hesitant. You know, when you're an artist or you work in theatrics, most people aren't looking for a film, deg- or they're not looking for a degree, they're looking for experience. Um, I don't have a, a college education, and it's done well for me. I think college is a great plan, but it's not always the plan. So think twice. I always tell parents, if you're going to force your kid to go to college when they want to be an artist, force them to go to business school and minor in communication. That, that, that's the thing they don't tell you about being an artist. Most artists, we're not great with people. We, we're awkward or shut-ins. And the thing is, when you're an artist, you're also a business person. So you have to work with a lot of other people, And you also have to know how to manage money. And so I I tell parents, like, kids who are serious about being an artist will find a way to improve
0: no matter what. Teach them how to work with money and people. That's really good advice. Last question, do you want to plug your uh, social media and Blue L Studios so the listeners can follow your guys' work? Absolutely.
1: Um, Let me go ahead and make sure I don't mess this up. prone to do so i'm for being only 30 years old i'm a bit of a luddite so you can find me my personal page at matthew.r.silva on instagram you can find our company at www.fxmakeup.com and you can find our company page at um blue Whale makeup
0: on instagram just all one word um yeah that's about it awesome Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. It was great. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Sitting here at Fanaticon with The Walking Dead's own Miss Sonya Thompson. How are you today?
2: I'm doing great. How are you today?
0: Doing good. We were actually just talking before we started. You actually did an interview for a podcast I used to do, the Nerd Cave podcast, back in 2014, which on one hand seems like yesterday on one hand it seems like another lifetime
2: yeah it's the time has definitely flown by you know and i was saying about this the other day uh the walking dead you know we started we started filming on that in 2010 and it really feels like it was just a couple years back you know and now we're uh, tonight's going to be the season 10 uh premiere really which is crazy
0: wow yeah it's been that long
2: It really has, and it's just unbelievable, and it's unbelievable, too, how it has advanced, and uh, the story just keeps going and going.
0: Absolutely. So, how's your time been uh, here at Fanaticon? Because, you know, like like I said, you were at the one in 2014, so how does it feel to be back here, you know, years later, different venue? Well, I got to tell
2: you, this has just been wonderful. Everybody down here is just uh, phenomenal, and uh, I've been coming down since then to uh, the Dothan area uh, for Columbia Manor. They've had me up here and there and every year since. And so I've met a lot of great people down here. So just to be here again in Dothan, Alabama, and to re meet and revisit and see all these people that I haven't seen, such as yourself in a long time, has just been phenomenal. There's just been some great people. The zombie class I taught yesterday was packed out, there was standing room only. Um, I'm going to be doing another one again here in a little bit, so wish me luck on that. But it, it just is very impressive to see. I'm, I just say I'm proud to see that this has grown the way it has. This is, a, this is a really good thing. Seeing it in the beginning and now seeing it now, I'm just extremely proud to have been a part of it right there at the, the startup of it and now to see uh, what it's became.
0: Absolutely. So transitioning into your career, what was it that made you want to become an actor what made you want to be a performer
2: I've always enjoyed making people smile I've enjoyed entertaining people my whole life Uh, when I was a little girl I would put on performances for my family and they would all sit around in the living room and I would come rushing in and do my stage work and sing and dance or whatever or do a magic trick or something so I've been doing this a long time and and even in my 20s, I was a professional zombie, not a professional zombie, that's what I do now, but a professional clown. And so, once again, it was another venue for me to make people smile and to give back to the community. Um, that's what's so important is making sure that people are enjoying, enjoying themselves in life and living to its fullest potential. And when there's not somebody else kind of urging you to smile or do things, sometimes it's hard for people. You know, so I like yeah. to, if I see somebody's having a hard day, I want to give them some flowers or draw them something or, you know, just do something nice for them and kind. I just want to show kindness to make sure that they have a better day.
0: Paying it forward.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: No, that, that's good. Uh, so once you, how do you get your foot in the door when it comes to acting professionally?
2: Well, I started in the film and TV industry uh, about 06, And I actually started out as a background actor. So that was how I kind of got in the door. So I kind of recommend people do that first to kind of get a feel of it and to, uh, or do stage first, you know, theater's great as well. Um, just to kind of get a feel for what it is to, to see everything work, the lights and everybody running around and know that there's a process. that's not just, you know, what you see on TV takes a long time to do. And a lot of people don't realize that. They just think it's a lot of fun and all that, but it's actually work. But I do recommend that people either do uh, background acting to start off with or take uh, some acting classes, uh, do some individual film stuff, you know, like film yourself, you know, on YouTube or whatever, um, you know, or do theater. You know, stage acting is, is a great venue as well. And if it's, if it's a passion, you're going to love it either way. Me, I prefer the film and TV. Well,
0: speaking on passion, I think that's something that you have to have really with any type of performance work, whether it's... Theater, film, because it's hours and hours of work for minutes of results. Yes. So, how did you get your role in The Walking Dead?
2: Well, um, I had, okay, I started off my first zombie role was Night of the Jackals. It was a little independent that filmed in Atlanta, Georgia. The next year, I auditioned for a movie called Zombieland. And Great the, movie. Yes, yes. And they've got a number two coming out here, Double Tap, I think is what it's called. I can't wait to see it. And so, um, anyway, I uh, had that audition for Zombie Land and the same co- casting company that had got me that audition, they automatically submitted me for The Walking Dead. So, I got this email, and they said, hi, you know, you've been chosen to be a zombie on The Walking Dead TV series. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. So... I was fine with that. You know, I just done the zombie work on Zombie Land, so I was looking forward to it. It sounded like fun. I didn't know it was going to be so much hard work.
0: <laughs> and since then, you know, The Walking Dead, you know, the comics themselves were very popular. And then when the show came out, it became almost in the Breaking Bad sense of it's a must-watch show every single week. So how does it feel for you being a part of that phenomenon?
2: You know, it's an amazing feeling. Um... I, you know when we did this you know we were there day one filming The Walking Dead down in Fairburn Georgia and um, just to just to know I was a part of that and to see this franchise grow as it has and become such a huge success I, I feel very honored I feel very very honored to be a part of it and to know some really great people that were involved with this in the beginning and and that are still involved with it and You know, I just really never thought it would go ten seasons like this. Uh, I didn't even think it would do what it did. I've done so many things over the years, and you think that's going to be the next big thing that people's going to be into, but sometimes things just flop. Or you, you know, I did a movie with Billy Baldwin um, four years ago, and it just came out on DVD a couple years a couple years back. And my my scenes are in it. It's great and all. You know, I got some. You know, I had some great scenes in that. Um, I played the role of Alice. But, you know, I didn't know if it was going to come out or not. You know I mean? It's like you just wait. I had another one I did with Kevin Sorbo called This Old Machine. And that one took like six years to come out. You know, and it went straight to DVD. Mm-hmm. So you just don't ever know how big something's going to be or how well it's going to do. Or, you know, it's, you just don't ever know. And some of the things that I thought was going to go somewhere never went anywhere. So I had no idea The Walking Dead was going to do this. I did know that the the comic book was a huge success and had a huge fan base beforehand, but yeah, you never know with that kind of stuff. But now it's, it's I don't know, it's just phenomenal. It really is, it's, it's really great.
0: It's still crazy to think that that show's been on for 10 years. It really is. It, it really is, I know I keep going back to it, but, so what is the, what's the process of playing a zombie from makeup, like, do you have to get yourself in a certain mind frame? To, to play a zombie and then how how long on average does it take to get zombified as far as makeup goes
2: you know i do have to kind of put myself in a different space but mainly it happens during the um procedure of having the makeup on you know you get your clothes on so you go to wardrobe and you get then from wardrobe you go and have your makeup and then from makeup, you have your contacts put in. And so you've had your hair done and all this kind of stuff. And then when they're ready for you to be on set, you go to set. And then you may do the same take over and over again. But in the heat in Georgia, which is very difficult, it makes it almost miserable. Uh, you know, it's, it's even harder then. But at, by the end of the day, you're so drained from the heat, you are a zombie. So that puts you in, even in an even more, you know, wonderful space
0: that's awesome last question real quick do you have any type of website or social media that you like to plug so the listeners can yes, follow you
2: yes I am on Instagram it's Red Sonya Thompson and I'd have a Twitter but I actually plug in from Instagram over to the Twitter and I don't go to Twitter that much and so I have Facebook as well I think it's S Thompson 70 and um, uh, my website's professionalzombie.com but I haven't updated it in a while so it probably wouldn't do you
0: much good Awesome. Well, it was great seeing you again, and thank you for taking the time to do this interview.
2: Well, thanks for interviewing me, and have a great day.
0: Wrapping up my coverage of Fanaticon 2019 with the head of the convention himself, Mr. Phil Chalker. How are you doing? Doing great. Hello. So, funny enough, I've been plugging this on my podcast leading up to it. I was at the very first Fanaticon all the way back in 2013. Yep. How has it been seeing the evolution of Fanaticon from back
3: then all the way to now? Yeah, it's actually awesome. Before we sat down, I was saying, you know, we've come full circle from 2013 all the way to now. And, you know, it's funny because I look back on those videos that people recorded. And, um, you know, every year I think we're doing the best job we can do. But looking back, it's like, holy moly, we didn't have a clue. But people had a blast, and I think that's—I think the, the the big thing to take away from that is it was an organic event. Like everyone knew what we were going for, and so the production value didn't matter. People were just having fun, and I think that still carries over today. So even though this year's been crazy and busy, it was still organic, and everyone's just happy to have it. So it's been an amazing turnout.
0: Well, and that's the important thing you mentioned—organic. I remember mm-hmm. that first Fanaticon because that was only. The third
3: convention that I'd ever been to in my entire life. A so lot of people's first convention because back in 2013 they had not become a big thing yet. You know, mm-hmm. there were not a lot of conventions. Yeah. And now they're almost every major town, you know. Because there was a small one in Pensacola, because this was before Pensacon even became a thing. Yeah.
0: And then I went to um, DragonCon and then went to Fanaticon. <laughs> and I remember... it just the, the rowdiness of the fans, you know, because we were all packed in that, that oh one room. Oh, my God. Having the, I remember specifically watching a Mega Man X speed run. Yeah, that was exciting. And I thought it was one of the craziest
3: things I'd ever seen because that is a hard game. <laughs> he did it again last night, too. Oh, really? Yep. Nice. Another, another little homage to Alpha. He did the speedrun again. That first year, though, I did live commentary and it was really exciting. I remember that. Because yeah. I, I had printed out all the notes about the video game beforehand, and it was like, all right, while he's getting set up, we're going to go through the history of Mega Man. And it was fun, man. That was a good show, though. I mean, yeah. it really, I think it was like one of those old school conventions where everyone felt like they were part of a big club. And I, I hope we still feel that way. I never, you can go back and find our old Kickstarter video. In 2013, where I'm like, we want to be the indie garage band of conventions. We never want to be the glam rock conventions. Like I say, and I sound so dorky back then, but I, I, you guys know what I mean. You know? Yeah. So, and I think we've achieved that this year, too. It still feels good.
0: So for those who don't know, walk through the
3: process. What, what does it take to put on Fanaticon? Um, a lot of patience because the stuff you want to do has to go through people's desks who don't know what a convention is. So patience, number one. Number two, you need, um, well, we had over 80 staff, and you really need a good core group of um, business-minded people who can do paperwork and stuff because, you know, I'm lucky that I come from a finance background. I worked at Aviation Credit Union, which is now All-In, but I worked at All-In Credit Union for 10 years. So I had a finance background, and then, of course, you know, my wife is a retail pro. She's done retail her whole life, so, and then we have Fanatics, so, you know having if you want to get into running a show and you don't have any finance or small business background you need to find a partner it will it'll blow up in your face other than that have plenty of volunteers plan for 25% people dropping out um and just double triple check everything so and, you know, and you need good production values, too. You need, like like this year, I'm already walking around. We needed bigger signage. Um, you need you need banners. You need, like, there's a lot of stuff people forget. Like, running a convention has been the funnest thing for me because it's taught me so much about managing large bodies of people. As a pro wrestling fan, now that I'm trying to start my own promotion, Fanatics Wrestling Federation, I feel kind of spoiled. I'm like, dude, this is, wrestling's easy. You know, convention <laughs> is the hard type of, I, I started with the hardest type of event to host as a convention, a fan convention, so... Everything else is cake after that. It is. It really, because everything is like, you know, for the rest of your life, you're like, oh, this is kind of like a convention, but with insert blank, you know. Yeah. wrestling's like a convention, but with one show, one panel, and it's the wrestlers. You don't have to do anything. You just announce them.
0: Well, it's crazy because I was thinking this the other day. You have your hand in a lot of stuff from Fanatic to Fanatics and now starting your own wrestling
3: promotion. How do you get any sleep? Um, it's a problem, honestly. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I will say it's a problem because, like, I don't. I just want to do a lot of stuff, you know. I don't know. Everything looks fun to me, and I'm always paranoid. Like, there's a famous poem by um, Sylvia Plath about the. um, There's a book, you know, and it's I think it's called the Plum Jar or the Plum Tree. It's I I can't. You Google the Plum Tree, and it's like talking about you know, there's so many figs on the tree, but I take so long picking one that I don't get to eat any, Um, or so they're all gonna fall to the ground, spoil, and and I'm learning that. So like, yeah, I've tried to eat a lot of plums, but eh, you know. I'm going to keep going until I can't do it. I kept telling myself I'll just keep trying projects until one of them fails and I get embarrassed finally. And so far, like, you know, no sweat. We've made it. But I think it's time I start trimming that up and start picking one thing to do. Pick one thing, Phil, and stick to it. So we're working on it. We just hired a manager at our Fanatics location. He's going to take over that ship. And I'm going to try and focus on event running, mm-hmm. which still allows me to do all these crazy other things. Like event running means I can do wrestling. I can do taco festivals. I can do the convention. And it hopefully create a company for that where – I can make a a day, you know, make a living off that. That's the goal.
0: Well, that's a testament to to what you're doing is that you have people who want to do a lot of things, but Mm -hmm. they don't do them. So I think that you've been doing a convention that you've been starting your own wrestling promotion, your own store,
3: I I, I think is awesome. It's been fun. It is a lot of work, though. The grass is not greener on the other side. If you have a day job... um, be happy you have a like you know just enjoy the work you know definitely find something you like but owning your own business you have to be prepared to lose a lot you know it's not traditional work hours no it's not traditional at all yeah i learned a lot you know we just had to learn as we went what's been your biggest highlight from this year's fanaticon Who, as a wrestling fan i mean driving jim ross around in a golf cart shooting the breeze that is I, – I mean, you can look on my Facebook because I shared it this year when promoting. I said, uh, you know, if I, ever, if I ever have a bunch of money, I'm going to hire Jim Ross to, to narrate my life or narrate a day in my life. And I was joking, but it's like, you know, holy crap, he's here, you know. Yeah. So for me – and, I, you know, I am kind of biased because I'm a wrestling fan. So that was the highlight, man. Jim Ross stole the show for me. Obviously, I love all the guests. You know, I love – like you said, I have my hand in everything. I'm, a, I'm a, mass, a, a, a jack of all trades, master of none, and I am like that, that way with fandoms. I love it all but Jim Ross is here. Yeah. That was crazy. Still blows me away.
0: Yeah. No, I, I would completely agree with that. And I think that's cool that you you have this wide range of interest and that kind of reflects in Fanaticon because you have something for everybody.
3: Yeah, and it helps because people... Some people don't like that about me because I don't go all in on any one thing. They think, wow, you know, Phil, you have too many interests. I'm like, yes, but I'm a showrunner, like, I, and I sell, and I'm a retailer. So you should be happy that I don't have any one favorite thing because now everyone gets taken care of to the best of my mm-hmm. ability. If I was a big Magic the Gathering fan or uh, only a big wrestling fan uh, or only anime fan, other, some of the things wouldn't have happened. you know. And I see a lot of game stores and conventions go that way. Like the convention runner might be a big Star Trek fan. He spends all his money on the Star Trek guests. You can't. You got to be careful with that. Yeah. Think of our lineup this year, man. We had Squidward, Naruto, Jim Ross, Phil Lamar, Space Ghost for the '90s kids, and then Sonya Thompson for the zombies. Because it's October. I mean, we had. Like, I thought this was probably the best well-rounded team of celebrities we've ever had. You yeah. Know? As a multi-genre fan convention, that you know, we're not Pensacon, we're not DragonCon, we don't have a lot of money. So I thought we brought together a dream team this year, man. I was like, we we got 300 characters represented. We've got five genres represented. <laughs> I thought it was great.
0: Yeah. No, I've, I've very much enjoyed myself, you know, during my time here. So, um, in closing, what's one piece of advice you would give to someone if someone's aspiring to start a convention or something like that, what would be one piece of advice you would give?
3: You know, I'm going to be brutally honest because like when I used to do these podcasts years ago, I would try to be all cheesy, but I guess I don't really have any advice. I would just try to try to encourage you to definitely get some reality checks before you try to do something. Like, you need to be an authentic person. You need to be an honest person. You need to be a hard worker that doesn't mind losing money or sleep. Um, So, you know, there's nothing fancy I can tell you. Like, it's paperwork. None of that matters. If if it's going to happen, it's going to happen for you. But you need to have a reality check and talk to friends and family about it before you jump into it. Because it, you know... Because, A, no one wants to go to a bad convention because it's no fun. You know, people spend money to be there. So you got to remember that you're about to become responsible for hundreds of families' entertainment money. They could have spent that money at the grocery store, at the movie theater, and they chose to come to your convention. Um, So it may be all fun and games for you and your group of friends, but it's still a business and people need to have a good time. So that's my advice is just talk to friends and families before you jump into it. And hopefully they'll be honest and not, you know, American Idol. Oh, you're such a great singer. Yeah, because it's a convention business. It's not just your life at stake. And I say life. I mean, it's not that serious, but you guys know what I mean. It's inter- yeah. Money is hard to come by. So if people are coming to have a good time, they don't want to be disappointed. Yep. Last thing. What's the, do you want to plug the website and sure. social media of Fanaticon so the listeners can follow? Em? Yeah. Um, our website, which should be getting renovated soon, alabamafanaticon.org and then fanaticswrestlingfederation.com. We'll have tons of updates on there. And you can find our store through there, too. But definitely check out com because we're planning a little bit of a road trip in the southeast for next year because we have a five-year plan in Dothan. we got we got to hit the road again, like just like the good old days. Like After 2013 came and you interviewed us, we got really excited, and we went to a bunch of con- conventions that year. And 2014 doubled that year. We doubled. Mm-hmm. So this year, I'd like to hit the road again and double again. So com. keep up with us. If you're a showrunner and you hear this, just contact me. I'd love to work with you and you know we'll see if we can make something happen. Awesome. Well, Phil, thank you so much for taking the time
0: and uh, thank you for the invite and everything. (laughs) It's been a great weekend. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt, Sonia, and Phil for taking the time to do interviews through a busy weekend at Fanaticon. Again, it was great getting to cover the event and hopefully I'll be back in 2020. For next week's episode, we'll be returning back to the traditional filmmaking format with an actress who was actually in a film that I featured a few weeks ago on this podcast, You might remember me talking with Anderson Cowan, the director of Groupers. Well, I also got to chat with the lead actress from Groupers, Nicole D'Ambrose. So she'll be on the show next week to talk about Groupers, some other projects she's worked on, and some that she has coming up. So be sure to come back and check out that episode next week. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. If you want to follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at D Diamond Podcast. And in closing, thank you as always to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs, Late Night Drive Through and Light and Jazzy, can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Fan, which is available on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to everyone at Fanaticon for a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.